Hey now, and happy Mother's Day. We are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That uh, With a WWE WrestleMania Backlash Instant Analysis Edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That was a mouthful. The Silver King, Adam Silverstein, is back once again, joined by Vintage Chris Vanini, and we are here just minutes after WrestleMania Backlash went off the air to break down every single thing that happened for you. Instant analysis style from WWE's first premium live event after WrestleMania. We have a lot to get to on tonight's show, and we are not going to waste any time off the top because the Silver King needs to remind you, before we do anything else tonight, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast so please, folks, Stop being marks for yourselves and go, back to being a mark for me. go back to being marks for the Silver King for Vintage. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Let people know how much you love this damn podcast, why you listen, why they should subscribe. Those ratings, those reviews, so super important for us. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting overcast not only can you participate in pre and post show polls as we ran tonight you will hear the results of those in a little bit you will also be able to participate in our live shows on twitter spaces before pay-per-views again something we did today for wrestlemania backlash and of course we tweet about professional wrestling during the major shows and other times as well throughout the entire week so there's every reason in the world to follow us on twitter at getting overcast i am going to welcome chris into the show in a moment, but for longtime listeners, you know the drill here on these instant analysis podcasts. Unlike our normal shows where we stay sober and we take things very seriously, we like to loosen up a little bit. It is late on the East Coast after all, so the Silver King and Vintage usually, but the Silver King tonight gets to crack open a cold one when we do this show, and tonight I'm drinking an oatmeal cream pie beer. I don't know if it's an ale, what it is from Pigeon Hill Brewing Company in Muskegon, Michigan. Now, despite Chris having attended Michigan State University and being a Michigan guy, um, he does not have a beer uh, to join the party tonight, unfortunately. So, Chris, you get to comment on this one that you can't taste. How's that sound? Yeah, and, and uh, good job pronouncing Muskegon. I've been there. There's a, a water park there that's very fun. Oh, on nice. The west side of the state of Michigan. Uh, yeah, so I got back. I was gone for a week plus uh, doing work stuff. I got back into town late Friday night, went to the store today, and you can't buy any beer in Texas uh, on Sundays, which I always forget every time we have one of these shows, and I just didn't have anything lying around the house, so I am drinking water tonight. One of many, I would say, uh, shitty laws in Texas these days, although yeah, this one's true. been long-term at least, so. Anyway, getting to the show itself that, that was a romp romp that, that one did not no fly. I, I i made my comment but then we kind of just we, we we stopped at the same time <laughs> that's fine uh, anyway we're here to talk professional wrestling wwe wrestlemania backlash 2022 instant analysis style for anyone who's a first-time listener the way we do it is like this we discuss our pre-show grades right off the top we then break down the card from the biggest matches on the show not necessarily the main event though it usually is the main event all the way down the card at the end of the show we give our post-show you know, thoughts overall and our grades as well, and we wrap everything up. And all of our listeners, the Getting Overheads, have been able to participate in not one, but two polls. First, the pre-show poll, 
and the post-show poll. Uh, so, Chris, let's get right into it. WrestleMania Backlash 2022 Instant Analysis. Let's go over the pre-show grades just to remind everyone. The Silver King came in with a B-. minus. I thought it was an extremely weak build, but had a chance to deliver in terms of match quality. You were at a C+. Plus and the getting overheads, our listeners, this is the result of the pre-show poll. 2% A, which is the lowest for a WWE pay-per-view in a long, long time. 40% B, 57% C, and 1% D to F. Uh, normally, I would throw those out, but given the way this card was built, I actually accept for the first time ever the DNF grades in a pre-show poll. But to me, Chris, that averages out to a C plus, exactly where you were coming in. Yeah, it, it just, the, there's only one title match. Uh, it was supposed to be a tag team unification match. It just turned into a six-man tag. Uh, in the end, this just looked like a pretty good TV sh- TV card, I, I think, especially when you consider the main event. Um, uh, at least that was my thoughts going in. That's a completely fair point. I mean, a main event, six-man tag team match, no titles on the line. That is a... Raw or SmackDown main event coming in, and that's what we had. But, you know, overall, WWE, despite the build not being strong, there was a lot of potential. That's what I kept saying on our Ultimate Preview, on our live show on Twitter Spaces. I said, this show, Backlash, had a chance to over-deliver simply because of the quality of wrestlers and matches that were on the show. You know, four of the six matches had a chance to really super entertain us. And for the rematches from WrestleMania, I believe four of the six were also rematches. All of them, you know, just by, you know, people fighting each other for a second time and being more familiar with each other in the ring on a big stage, those matches all had an opportunity to be better than their WrestleMania counterparts. The question was coming into this, would that be the case? Let's find out right now, Chris, we will begin with the main event of the evening and move our way through the rest of the card. The main event was the Bloodline versus Drew McIntyre and RK Bro. I think they called that RK Mick Bro. They should have <laughs> called it R Clay Bro, but whatever. Let's, ah, let's just keep moving on, See? right? Better? Yeah, that's pretty Come good. on. That's a, that's a lot better. I know. Of course it is because it's Silver King coming out with it, not WWE. But nevertheless, um, let's talk first about what happened on SmackDown leading into this match, and then we will go over the match itself. We will do that for every SmackDown match, of course, on this card. We will be as quick as we possibly can. We know that you want to hear us talk about Backlash and not SmackDown. Anyway, on SmackDown, in the main event of that show, it matters. The faces all acknowledged truths about each other, including the McIntyre-Randy Orton feud from a couple years ago. It was a really funny bit, I thought. McIntyre said them being a team is a joint decision, and Riddle went wild hearing the word (laughs) joint. They even got an acknowledged chant going with McIntyre saying Roman Reigns is a piece of crap. I just thought this was straight up hilarious, like literally and figuratively high comedy, Chris. Yeah, that, that's what you're getting with RK, bro. And, and McIntyre has generally been a pretty funny guy. I've enjoyed our clay bro together for the past couple of weeks. And this is why they're fun together. And that, that that's all it needs to be. It's true. So the bloodline entered after that. Reigns chose not to speak. He threw his mic. They all went face-to-face and then brawled. McIntyre ate a Superman punch and got beat down. Ridden and Orton each hit an RKO. Then Orton ducked and Reigns got dropped with a Claymore. He walked out pissed off and confused with his back to the ring. It was a really hot go-home segment. Even though the match doesn't have any stakes. Like, we're coming into Backlash. It's a six-man main event. 
you know, the three probably biggest faces in the company, you could argue, with McIntyre, Orton, and Riddle against the bloodline, the most dominant group with the most dominant person, Roman Reigns. But all six guys were so over that even though there were no stakes in the match, it felt like a big deal. And that crowd loved the go-home segment as well. And it helped the way that Roman sold the Glamour, which was like he had been just absolutely socked in the face, like wide-eyed. Just like how Brock Lesnar sold it. Yeah, yeah, he sold it really, really well. And that kind of got me actually interested in in, in McIntyre Roman for whenever. So, yeah, it it was a good go-home. It was. Okay, so let's finally get to Backlash. And I want to give credit to WWE because between the entrances, the way they built it up with the promo package, by the time the bell rang, it felt like a legitimate main event. Again, even though there was nothing on the line other than pride in the match. Uh, Riddle hit an assisted floating bro early. McIntyre stared down Reigns while beating on Jimmy Uso. So Reigns tagged in. He walked around the ring a little bit. And then he tagged out, obviously, to booze because, you know, quote unquote, he's scared of him. But also in Reigns, you know, parlance, he's doing whatever he wants because he's the needle mover. When Riddle was finally beaten down, Reigns tagged in, got involved with the Uranagi. Later, Reigns tagged himself in again because the Usos were in trouble. And McIntyre tagged himself in immediately after. So we finally got the standoff. And I thought the standoff was handled really well. The crowd was on its feet. McIntyre dominated Reigns until the Usos got involved. Then he ate a Superman punch and got dominated himself. Reigns even posed with both his titles in the ring. Reigns cheap shot and riddle off the ring apron. And when he turned around, McIntyre caught him with a claymore, but couldn't capitalize. They were on opposite sides of the ring. Cameras half missed it, and they never showed a replay. That was annoying. But the crowd was on absolute fire for this. Orton then gets the hot tag, and you know Randy Orton with a hot tag. Michael Cole is going apoplectic because he gets to scream vintage Orton on the draping DDT. Uh, He hit that on Jimmy. Then Orton tossed Jay out of the ring, and Reigns ran at him for a spear. But Orton counters the spear with an RKO out of nowhere. And I just got to tell you, the last thing I expected in this match was Randy Orton hitting Reigns with an RKO. Then he hit Jimmy with an RKO, uh, but Jay made the save in a really hot sequence. The Usos countered a Claymore with a super kick and a double super kick. Riddle was next with a hot tag and ran through Jay with a Broton, Fisherman Suplex, and Floating Bro for a 2.8 false finish. Jay countered the RKO into a roll-up and then hit a pop-up neckbreaker. Reigns caught Orton with a Superman punch off the steps outside, but McIntyre ran him into the steps. McIntyre then tried to powerbomb Reigns into the announce table. Jimmy interrupted. Reigns put McIntyre through the table instead with a huge Uranagi and kissed Jimmy on the head for, you know, making the save there. Uh, Riddle and Jay ran out of the ring hitting topes. They both went back inside. Riddle took Jay off the top rope with an avalanche RKO, which was insane. And then as Riddle was standing back up to get the cover, Reigns pops in, gets the tag, and hits Riddle uh, standing with a spear for the one, two, three to end the match in about 24 minutes. Chris, this was one of the best WWE six-man tag team matches I can remember. It was superb, excellent, uh, exemplary. You can pick an adjective, whichever one you want to use, it applies here. The extended sequence without tagging late, you guys know that's a pet peeve of mine. But as with other similar matches, top-tier action can overcome the rule bending. There was so much to love here. Every single person came out of this match looking good. Even Riddle, the guy who lost, He got caught out of nowhere with the finisher of the company's top star. That's hardly embarrassing. If this had something at stake, like if all the titles were on the line, it would have been absolutely insane. 
it is so tough to grade this because it was incredible for a six-man, but it's really tough to compare a great six-man tag team match to a great one-on-one singles match. Like, they're really in different ballparks in terms of match style. So for a six-man tag team match, you know what? Screw it. 4.75 stars, A+. plus. This was endlessly entertaining. Yeah, I, w- I would say 4.75 on the six-man scale. It, it, it was... It was a blast from start to finish. Your point about the lack of tagging at the end, you can kind of accept that when tagging had been so important and emphasized throughout the match otherwise. If you start a match and it's a complete mess and and it never matters, sometimes like Young Bucks matches do, then you lose. Right. You lose a little bit. You you appreciate that they emphasize it at the end and it, 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 it highlights how much things have devolved and gotten crazy at the end when you don't have it. You made the comment that everybody looked good coming out of this. I completely agree. Everybody looks great coming out of this. It uh, honestly does not even matter who won the match. In, in it the really end, didn't. Yeah. Especially since Roman won it. Uh, you, you made the comment about Cole um, getting to do vintage Orton. And it kind of hit me that like, he hasn't called a lot of Randy Orton matches uh, in a while. Cause RK bros over on raw. Right. So outside of a, a pay-per-view here and there, maybe uh, do they get to do that. So that was cool. Uh, I thought, honestly, Cole's biggest uh, uh, highlight on commentary, I actually didn't think commentary was great for the show, but in this match it was, and Cole calling the RKO on Roman Reigns was one of the highest pitch I've ever heard him get. <laughs> he, he, he went nuts for that. And it wasn't even like a clean RKO. It almost kind of looked like a stunner because how Roman took it so, and stuff. Really, let, me, let me pause really quick. Yeah. There's something very weird about Roman and the Usos. They all take RKOs by falling on their knees. Yeah. I have no idea why. No one else <laughs> does this. It makes the move look way worse. Yeah. I, all three of them do it. Is it on purpose? Are they sandbagging? I don't think they are. No. Nah. But if you look at the main, if you look at the main event of SmackDown, where, um, or maybe it was Raw, where it was Raw, where RK Bro snuck in from behind and hit the double RKO. Look at the way both Usos took it. They both landed on their knees, and then look <laughs> at the way Reigns took this one. He landed on his knees. Also, really and, strange. And we know the Usos can land on their stomachs, they and we know Reigns can too. Yeah. Yeah. We they literally do it all the time. But but so. Cole got me even more into this match. I thought commentary was really good on this match. So, so that was great. You but, So the best line, the, the best line, oh, I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, no, you, I, you finish, finish. I was going to say the best line of the night because you mentioned commentary. I don't want to get it mixed. When Reigns puts McIntyre through the table with the Uranagi, Pat McAfee's pencil goes flying and McAfee goes, my pencil is gone. And Michael Cole <laughs> says, you haven't taken a note since you worked here. <laughs> I, I mean, it's perfect. That. They're so good together. Anyway, go I back to your. I didn't catch that. That was funny. Yeah, go, go back um, to your. Break. So, so, go so every, all, all of that was great. It was a heck of a time, but it didn't mean anything, really. Mm-hmm. It, it this would have been an amazing SmackDown main event type of match. It's it, it, and six mans are fun. Six mans can be great, but when you have the tag champs and your undisputed Universal champ, and they're in this instead of championships on the line. As you, it, it it hurts the show overall because it's a pay per view and because it's not a TV show. So, look, it, it was a lot of fun. Ultimately, didn't mean all that much, and that's going to play a role at the end of this episode when we come down to our final grades of the show. 
So, you know, WWE in the past, um, I don't know what show it was at. I believe it involved Triple H, I want to say. But they had a six-man or a tag team match, something like that, in the main event of a pay-per-view during the Attitude Era. And they had multiple different titles on the line where if the challenger team won, they would win like the tag team titles and the Intercontinental Championship or World Championship. They just put them all on the line, but they were defended in a six-man contest. Now, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of that, right? Because why should someone lose a world title if someone else on their team gets pinned? It doesn't really make much sense. But given the fact that two sets of uh, people here were tag team champions and they teased the tag team championship unification, it felt to me like they could have thrown all the titles on the line in the match and that could have been the stakes. And would it have been a little messy? Perhaps, but it would have sold it even more than it already did. Now, if they're not going to unify the tag team championships, that's the exact reason why you don't do that. So I do agree with you that this felt like it should have been a house show main event or a SmackDown main event and not a pay-per-view main event. But the way this match was went off, the way it was wrestled, the work rate was way too good for SmackDown. I don't want to see that match go 24 minutes with four commercial breaks. Like what I got, if I was at that show, even though there were no titles on the line, Roman Reigns did not wrestle a singles match for his championships. I went home happy. I would have gone home happy with that as a main event of the show. Yes, especially knowing, I mean, knowing what it is coming in, you know, knowing we had a six-man main event as, as a, a six-man tag as a main event. That blew away expectations home. for the match. I mean, oh, it was for, way better than I could have expected that match. For for sure, for sure. Based on the expectations, you know, yeah, yeah, I would agree. Like, I literally said on our Ultimate Preview, I'm like, you know, they made all these changes, whatever. they. I, I said they made it worse. They took a tag team championship unification that had a lot of stakes. They gave us a six-man with no stakes. And I said, there's no way that this match is better than the tag team match we would have gotten. I'm wrong, straight up well, wrong about that. I, I this did, is way I, I better would, than that would have been. Better, yes, but less meaningful. And, and, Definitely and, less and, meaningful. Yes. Yeah, and so to, to me, that was my whole thing coming into this card, was that there's just a lot of stuff that just didn't mean anything on this and, card and, it, and, and I, I love great wrestling but I also need something to happen I need something I need some 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 advancement of some stuff and this match didn't do it, it doesn't take away from the match I just think it overall takes away from the show I, I agree there's really no argument for me on that like to have one championship on the line when you have how many they have nine on the main ten on the main roster right now they have one on this pay-per-view to me that was a bigger indictment of the card building and the booking coming into it than it was this particular match being in the main yeah. event itself. If they had had two women's championships and the IC title on the line, all of them with strong feuds, I wouldn't have cared as much that the, that the main event didn't have any championships in it. But because of the rest of the card and the way that it was built, it coming in had my expectations lower, had me in a more negative mood. But once the lights are on and once I'm watching the show, seated on my couch, drinking and eating some food, whatever... Once I'm tuned in, I'm there to be entertained. And over three hours tonight, almost three hours flat, you know, this thing was super entertaining. We'll get to our, our post-show uh, post grade later. But this match is one of the reasons why I was super entertained because it was freaking great. Straight up. Absolutely. Totally, uh, totally. And let me add also, Vindaloo Diesel at our room, he, uh, he wrote in, basically, he agreed. Everyone came out of it looking like a million bucks. 
But what he also added is, look, there was no stupidity, no shenanigans, no interferences, no bullshit. Everyone in the match was smart and good, but Roman Reigns was smarter and better. And that is the story of Roman Reigns throughout this championship reign. So I did really appreciate the way this they booked this. Uh, let me come back to you, Chris. Is there anything else you want to say about this before we move on? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And it was nice to see Roman take some shots, take an RKO. Oh, yeah. Uh, take a Claymore. Like you said, we maybe didn't expect that going in. So that elevates those other guys. Not that Randy Orton needs it, but like it makes Roman Reigns feel touchable. And that's important because he I, hasn't for the longest time. And when it's him and Brock, they're on another plane, essentially away from everything else. Mm-hmm. So getting him back into this was his first match, I think, right? First match since Mania. Uh, for Reigns, yes, it was. Yeah, hadn't been on yeah. TV for a month. It's nice to see people can get some shots in on them. What I thought was really interesting was not that Orton or McIntyre needed to be built back into championship challengers, both on a whim, they could have put in a championship match and it would have been totally fine. But the the level of McIntyre, right? Coming out of what, what was it? A four month long, six month long feud. It felt like it was going on forever with happy Corbin, right? And we're down on him at WrestleMania. And we're like, man, they really need to build him back up into a main event challenger. Guess what? Drew McIntyre's back as your number one baby face on SmackDown. Like not even close, e- easy. Like he's there, right? Yep. Uh, and, Ra- and Randy Orton, who's currently a tag team champion, if they needed him to for one reason or another, if they lose the championships, could step right in as a challenger for Roman Reigns. Riddle could probably step in as a challenger for Roman Reigns. Randy would make more sense given the RKO and some of the stuff that happened in the match. Yeah. So the way this they did be, that this, was this exceptional. May, yeah, this may be interested in Randy versus Roman if they want I to do it. I badly want to see that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Badly want to see that match. All right, let's move on to what was the co-main event. There was a popcorn match in between, but this was the other main event of the show. SmackDown Women's Championship, Charlotte Flair against Ronda Rousey in an I Quit match quickly from SmackDown. Uh, There was a scheduled match between Flair and Aaliyah. Charlotte made excuses on the mic for last week, did not draw a reaction. She cheap shot at Aaliyah before the bell and finally got a couple boos. Rousey made the save. They had an extended brawl at ringside and into the ring through a bunch of officials. The setup to the whole thing was stupid, like scheduling a match and then not even doing the match. But at least they didn't squash Aaliyah unnecessarily. So I, I, I appreciated that. The brawl did get the crowd excited, and it was probably the best possible go-home build they could have done for the match, given it had very little heat and we had not heard Ronda speak in two weeks because they pretty much realized we can't put this woman on the mic. So for a go-home segment, it did actually get me a little bit more excited for the match considering I was not excited at all for the match. These two are at their best when they're just scrapping it out and brawling and yeah. in no other scenario, essentially. <laughs> that and, is true. And <laughs> uh, good news for what the match was then. Yeah, uh, because you basically described in very few words what I'm about to describe in many more words, <laughs> which was the backlash match between Flair and Rousey for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Flair dominated early. She pulled out a kendo stick. Rousey stole it. Chased her all the way to the stage. Charlotte ducked into the entrance and grabbed two kendo sticks. Rousey then stole those with a flip and beat the absolute shit out of Charlotte with those kendo sticks all the way back to the ring and into the ring. Flair stole a camera from a cameraman at ringside, chucked it at Rousey's head. She ducked. (laughs) They fought into the crowd. Flair put Rousey between like the railing of the staircase between like some of the arena seats and bent her backwards over, like, you know, coming up over it. 
uh, but she could not get her to quit. They then did some like awkward stuff with a chair for a moment. Then Flair powerbombed Rousey really hard into the barricade. Charlotte gouged her face and ran her into the post. Rousey caught Flair going up the ropes, put her in the tree of woe, but instead of coming inside the ring, outside the ring, and locked her in the arm bar on the ring apron. Flair refused to quit. So Rousey takes her body, turns it off of the ring apron into the floor. So she's basically pulling her all the way down with the arm bar. Flair barely survived. They basically both fell you know, out of it. I think her leg got loose. Uh, Flair came back with chair shots and then hit natural selection into a chair in the ring. Charlotte put the figure eight in next. Ronda, when she was asked to tap, she said, never bitch. Um, Flair then went to put Rousey's head through the chair to basically just end her life, I guess, is the, is, is the context of it. She said, this is your last chance and happy Mother's Day. Rousey grabbed Flair's arm through the chair because she was reaching for her head, um, put her immediately into an arm bar using the chair as like a little cage. She wouldn't quit. Rousey on the mic goes, I hoped you'd say that, bitch. And then bends the arm harder. And Flair finally says, I quit to a massive pop from the crowd. So I'm not a huge fan of like that arm bar where it looks like she's trying to break her arm, but really it's just bent normally and comfortably. So I always think that's weird, but that's a minor point. Okay. This match kicked major effing ass. It was eons better than their WrestleMania match, which is a trend that we're going to talk about throughout this entire show. There were a couple of bumps in the road throughout, but it really was a banger. It completely captured my attention and it more than paid off what I thought Chris was a really lackluster feud. Plus, it was the right booking. Rousey going over. It now makes sense. You know, Flair definitely wanted to win at WrestleMania. Rousey got to win the championship the same year. She became a mother on Mother's Day. It was the right booking. I'm going to say 4.25 stars and an A for this. If you're a quarter uh, point lower or higher, I would accept both. It was not a top-level wrestling match. The storytelling and the action were there, and they straight up kicked each other's asses for 17 minutes. This was really freaking good. So right from the beginning, the very first move, I don't remember, it was something Ronda did to Charlotte. It felt like that they were quite snug. Because then Charlotte responds with an elbow to the back, mm-hmm. a, a elbow behind her to the head, and you can hear some smacking going on. And it felt like there was some animosity there, real or otherwise. It got me more into it. It, it made me feel like that these people don't like each other. And, and, and that's good. And yeah, again, these two aren't maybe great at a wrestling match, but they're good at just beating the shit out of each other. And then that's what Ron, Ron is generally good at. Once this got out of the ring, it got really good. I've never I don't know if I've ever seen someone just chuck a camera at somebody else. It was awesome. Usually you're usually you're trying to, to, to hit them with it. Um, so so that was fun. It was the right decision to have Ronda win, even though, you know, we don't really know what this means going forward. But you don't bring Ronda Rousey back and not give her the championship. So this was a way to do it. And it was a nice way to do it. The Mother's Day comment and all that. Uh, that was good. Um I, I wrote down, uh, speaking of commentary in McAfee comments, he, he made a comment uh, while they were down by the table. McAfee goes, is that the fiend in the front row? <laughs> the kid in the mask. And Cole, yeah. Cole yeah. did not say anything. Cole did not acknowledge that. You know why he all. didn't acknowledge it? Because Vince McMahon was popping a blood vessel in his head. Yes. You know, and through, through, both, through yeah. all four of their ears. That's why. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was funny. 
Uh, oh, yeah, just overall, it was good. It was fun. You know, it, it, it was what they needed to be, what it needed to be. Now, moving forward, what do you do with that? I, I don't know. To me, I think if, if Ronda's going to be the face, you do what they haven't done for two months. And that's you. You tell us Ronda's story. You tell her about being a mom going through that. It, it doesn't have to be on a promo. Do it over a vignette. Show us what Ronda's been doing for the last two, what, two, three I mean, years? Uh, since as, she long was as, last... as long as it's different people that are then produced the Lacey Evans shit. Sure. I'm okay. With yes. That. Well, yeah, obviously you're not going to ever speak directly to the camera. No, I'm just so, saying whoever yeah. did that did a horrible job. But go ahead. So like you wouldn't totally know she's a mom because it's like it's only been like offhand reference like one or two times. Like give us that vignette of like Ronda Rousey's back. She became a mom. Like like give us reason to get behind her because her character has been so inconsistent since she came back she's she's the baddest woman she's smiling she's not smiling she's not talking for two weeks it's just kind of all over the place now you can reset here tell us her story she doesn't have to tell it to us because she's not going to tell it just tell us the story and do that going forward i also liked post-match they gave us an injury update well, let's yeah let's pause yeah because i, I want to talk yeah, about yeah. i want to talk about that idea that you just had so yeah, here's go a on. really good here's a really good idea you take drew gulak you send him out to her ranch that she has with Travis <laughs> Brown, whatever mm-hmm. that thing is that they have, the farm, the ranch, whatever. And yeah, like you have her with the championship sitting next to Travis Brown, her husband. He's interviewing them and you do this entire package and you create this relationship between Rousey and Gulak on a professional level where he manages her, he helps speak for her, all that type of shit. But simultaneously, like you said, you're showing off all these parts of Ronda and trying to make people actually care about her. I mean, look, the fans really do like her. Like, we've been very critical of her since her return, and she's, she's deserved that criticism. But the fans are popping for her. Like, at some point, you know, you have to just say she's over with the fans. Even if she can't talk, it doesn't, maybe it doesn't matter that much, right? But it, it matters it's a to mix. us. Sometimes she definitely is. Sometimes she's not in, in the two months she's been back. I'll say that. I'd say over the last three weeks, she's been pretty, pretty freaking over. Yes, I, I agree. Uh, one other note here, uh, since you mentioned it, let's get to it. So later backstage, a couple segments later in the show, Caleb Braxton announced that Flair has been diagnosed with a radial fracture from the armbar. Pat McAfee then comes on, does an excellent job giving a very layman's uh, description of the injury, explaining that it's serious, it's bra- basically a broken arm, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Now, obviously, this is a kayfabe injury, but you know, in real life, that is a three to six month recovery post-surgery. Usually have to wait a couple days at least for surgery, then three to six months. So there's a legitimate chance. I'm not saying that they definitely are going to go with a three to six month timeline, but there's a legitimate chance that Flair is held out of storylines until the build to SummerSlam or possibly through SummerSlam into the fall. That's extremely notable when you're talking about someone with a profile that WWE's built up so strong to the level of Charlotte Flair. It also opens the door for Lacey Evans, who's just returned. We will talk about her uh, Tuesday on our next WWE episode because it did not pertain to the pay-per-view. It also opens the door for Bailey, who we still need to return, and maybe even Alexa Bliss to fill some of that star power void on SmackDown. And by the way, no offense to Charlotte at all, but it's not the worst thing to kind of get a break from her on television every once in a while. And if I can get a three to four, five month break, then when she comes back, I'm actually going to be happy to see her again because right now when I see her on TV, it's kind of like a groan. That's just, I'm just being honest. So 
all of this, I like the way they're kayfabing it. Um, it made sense that if she's going to quit, it's going to be in a situation where she's she's broken her arm. It, it's taken her to the absolute maximum level, the threshold. She couldn't take it anymore. I just thought this was very successful and very well done. Yeah, no, I, I was literally going to say that in that her being off TV for a few months is probably a really good idea. Like, yeah, get get new people into the picture. And then when she does come back, it'll be a big deal. The, the, the thing about Charlotte Flair is that just everything she is involved in kind of has to be a big deal. Right. Because she's Charlotte Flair. Like, and almost it, it, always has to involve the title. Almost always. Yeah. And, and it just anytime she's involved in something, it's not about the title. It's just like, it's not that interesting. You're just like, all right, when is she going to get back in the title picture? It's just the nature of her character. She's a flair. And she carries herself that way. So her being uh, away, I think, would be a good thing. And it would freshen it up. So uh, that I, I, that's, I'm glad she's kayfabe injured. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's a good way to put it. Uh, so let's move on to what I think was the third biggest match of the show. It was also the opening match of Backlash, which was Cody Rhodes versus Seth Rollins Part 2. This was very formulaic early, uh, but Cody hit a disaster kick for a near fall. Rollins shoved him over the ropes outside when he tried a second time. Momentum picked up with a superplex and a Cody power slam. Rhodes missed an Escalera splash outside before hitting a Cody cutter for a near fall. There were finisher counters both ways, including a couple of teased pedigrees. Rollins then hit his rolling forearms and a Falcon Arrow for a 2.5. Rollins then countered a disaster kick attempt into a buckle bomb and hit a huge frog splash for a 2.8. Uh, Rollins got really frustrated, so he tried and missed a Phoenix splash. He caught Cody on the top rope with a superplex. Cody countered the Falcon Arrow into crossroads. However, on the pin attempt, Rollins' leg was like hanging out of the ring between the second and third rope. So the referee stopped the count. Cody straight up missed a moonsault. Rollins immediately took advantage with a pedigree for a false finish. Uh, Rollins talked trash saying Cody can't lace his boots, then like measured him a little bit with Dusty's punches. Uh, Cody caught the last punch and countered into crossroads. He picked Rollins up for a second one and Rollins countered out of it twice. Then Rollins escaped a vertebraker and tried an O'Connor roll, pulling the tights to try to cheat. Cody reversed that into another O'Connor roll, used the tights himself and got the win in 21 minutes, Rollins, right after the bell, completely lost his mind on the referee. This was an outstanding match. Really fantastic from the, the wrestling to the storytelling to even the finish. They swerved me three different times. Uh, I expected a stomp after the moonsault. Didn't get it. I expected the double or triple crossroads to actually happen. They countered all of them, got out of that. And then the finish was a surprise, too, that Cody won in the way he did. I'm not going to downgrade it because the fall was an actual wrestling move. It's not a roll-up. An O'Connor roll is a real move, like an inside cradle or a small package or numerous other pinning combinations. A roll-up, I would downgrade. I'm not going to downgrade this at all, just me personally. They also found a way to continue the feud without having Cody take a loss. Now, personally, I'd probably have preferred Seth get a win for a change, given this guy always freaking loses, no pun intended on the name there, but it makes sense the way WWE books its number one baby faces. And it's nice to see also, Chris, a face giving a heel a taste of his own medicine. Like, you can't hate on one hand when faces are booked as idiots and dumbasses and then have a problem with Cody doing quid pro quo cheating here. Like, that's a face being smart. This actually, like in terms of wrestling the work rate, it may have been a better match than the one they put on at WrestleMania. 
But I need to see both of them again to like compare and contrast. That one did have the benefit of Cody's debut. That may have skewed grades a little bit when I was doing it then. But I'm going to say 4.5 stars and an A for this match. It was really damn good. Super entertaining. And I love the booking. Yeah, I was between 4.25 and, and, and 4.5. My first thought was when Cody won was, oh no, does this mean we're not getting another Seth Cody match? <laughs> because I'm really enjoying these two together. They have unbelievable chemistry. They they have that fight forever chemistry. And my first thought is, oh, Cody's won two in a row. That means they're not going to do a third. That's too bad. <laughs> because, uh, it, which they might. I mean, we'll see. If you were if you were going to have Cody win a second one, this was probably the way you were second in a row. This is probably the way you were going to do it. And honestly, if you were going to have Seth win, that might have been the way you have Seth win it. You know, get one over on Cody like that uh, if he had if he had done it the first time. So, yeah, I think I, I as a match, I think I enjoyed this one more because it didn't have everything else. It was around it. And I still really, really, uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, on the crossroads, are we already at the point where Cody's like spamming his own finisher? I mean, he hit he hit several of them at Mania, and he he was about to try two in a row here to Seth. We're already at the point here where one crossroads shouldn't uh, finish anybody. I don't, I don't know. So we'll have to see his, so that's more not matches. that hasn't been that uncommon with Cody. I think towards the right. end of his um, run in AEW, I think he was actually winning with. I could be wrong. Maybe it was a package pile driver or the pedigree set up into a pile driver. He was like teasing people with it. I forget what move he was using, but it, he doesn't always win with the crossroads. And sometimes when he does, he has to hit two or three in order to finish. Um, I think definitely at least one of the TNT title match wins, maybe the one over Brody Lee, maybe also the Dustin Rhodes match. I think he had to hit a couple of them to win. So it is not a protected finisher. Like it never really has been, but also this is Seth Rollins. So, you know, if he needs three crossroads to be Seamus, right, or, you know, theory down the line, then I'd be probably pretty bothered by that. But with Rollins, this is a top two or three guy in the entire company. To me, it's personally not that big of a deal. Right. I, I need to go back and check his uh, Miz match to see how it finished. I, I honestly don't remember. But uh, yeah, that was just my thought. I, honestly, I thought I thought he was going to do crossroads, was going to go for more got need in the face and that was going to cost him. And it almost set up that way. That, that would have been a kind of wish. It, I kind of wish it did though. Yeah, I know me too. And then yeah. they did it another way in, in, in into the finish there. So uh, it, it was, it was a good sequence. Um, I, I think I kind of, I, I guess we'll see. I, I, I want these two to have another match. I don't know if they kayfabe should have another match, uh, but well, here's the case. The first month. one, he was unprepared. The second one, he, he cheated, you know, in, for a heel, they don't need the reasoning of I cheated first. You know, he cheated to win, right? So he has two legitimate gripes to get a third match, Rollins does. I would say. Yeah, I guess it's unusual that a heel has so many legitimate gripes, but um, yeah. Well, they're legitimate to him. Again, we talked about it on, on the pre-show, but like we've got Hell in the Cell and then a bunch of stadium shows. So, you know, we, we I thought Cody Rollins would be an interesting Hell in the Cell. I don't know if it's at the point of, of like a blood feud where it needs it. Right. But either way, I want to see these guys again. Yeah, I feel like if they do this again, I'm okay with the stipulation match. I'd love to see two out of three falls or an yeah, Iron Man, or a 30-minute Iron Man match. I would much prefer one of those two at Hell in a Cell rather than force them inside Hell in a Cell when the match that we're going to talk about next and a couple others uh, probably would be more likely to 
necessitate that type of stipulation. It's the best way I yeah. can say it. Um, so real quick, Nathan Toy at Nathan Toy 1998. He tweeted us that commentary did a great job going over the strategies of each guy and the dynamics of the match. And that was a really solid take, I thought. We actually, on this podcast, we don't talk about Jimmy Smith that much, the raw play-by-play guy. But he has been on point recently. And I think the entire commentary team told the story of this match really well. But back to Jimmy Smith really quick. Uh, you know, we said this with Adnan Verk, right? We're like, you can't judge the guy right away. You got to give him three months. And then after three months, we'll judge him. And Adnan left way before that ever happened. And he was terrible the entire time. But with Jimmy Smith, we have noted occasionally that, hey, you know what? He's pretty good and he's improving. But we never mm-hmm. actually went back and looked at him after three months like we said we were going to. And we're not going to have this whole huge discussion on Jimmy Smith right now. I just want to say he has totally 100% gone into the role. You forget that he's someone who's new to the job. He, it feels like he's been there for years. And he is a damn good play-by-play man for wrestling. I knew he was for MMA. He's a damn good play-by-play man for wrestling. Yeah, I mean, we knew from almost day one that he was a complete natural for this. Uh, I, I made a comment earlier that he still had to learn. Though. He had a lot of shit to learn. Yeah, yeah, did. no, for sure. He he's he's great. He's great. I made a comment earlier on the show that commentary wasn't good. I I'll take that back. Commentary was very good, except for one thing, which we're going to get into in the next match. But uh, yeah, Jimmy Smith is is great. Like like he's not a guy who gets a lot of attention as you would think a raw play by play guy does. Um, but he's, he's tremendous. He, he, he really he absolutely yeah. does, deserves a lot more praise for the job. He's, he's just such a natural fit that you don't even think about it. And that's actually the biggest compliment you can give him. He works really well with Corey and Byron and he, and the crazy part is he's still freaking learning. Yeah. Like he's still figuring things out and he's still getting a couple things wrong here and there, but you can tell he's trying. He really is. And it's, it's impressive. So, okay, let's move on to the next match which is Edge versus AJ Styles with the stipulation that Damian Priest is barred from ringside. So apparently I missed this before because I tweeted it. People told me, hey, I don't know how you didn't know this. You know, it's, he's been doing it. Uh, but Edge's new entrance begins with him saying, you think you know me? You never did. I never caught that before. I love this. I could have swore we talked about it as soon as it happened. I, I for, okay, in one ear, out the other. Just like slip my <laughs> mind. It's great combined yeah. with the actual entrance we got, which tonight included the ring announcer running down all of his accomplishments in WWE while he was walking, making his way to the ring. I thought that was awesome. I really think they should do that for a lot more people. Plus the video package we got coming into the match overall before the match began. I thought this was the best presentation of this Judgment Day gimmick that we've gotten yet. I'm wondering if you agree with that. I wrote down amazing video package uh, there you go. on my notes. I, I was way more into this because of that than I was coming into the night. And I almost tweeted again, like WWE video team, promo video team, like just continue to be the best. They are. Whenever they do these things. All right, let's get to the match. Uh, Styles was shot out of a cannon at the bell. He dominated Edge inside, outside. Uh, he hit a springboard moonsault. Uh, Edge ran his injured shoulder into the post. From there, he worked the shoulder until Styles hit a Pele kick and took Edge off the ropes with a Hurricanrana while selling the shoulder. Styles also got him into the calf crusher for a while, but Edge broke it twice. Edge got run into a turnbuckle without a pad. I completely missed how the pad came off, uh, but he also... Do do you want me to tell you? Yeah, sure. Tell tell me. me. Yeah. Uh, Edge was chest first into the turnbuckle, 
I think AJ might have rolled him up from behind or something like that, like grabbed his waist and Edge pulled off the turnbuckle with him. Oh, okay, cool. Okay, so he got run into it, so it was his own fault for pulling off the turnbuckle pad. Uh, He then speared Styles, but there was a delayed cover, so he only got a 2.5. Styles countered a second spear with a knee, hung Edge on the top rope, and picked him off with Styles Clash, but he also had delayed cover, couldn't get there. That led to a 2.5. Styles went to the top rope when Priest came down, uh, Finn Balor attacked him at the bottom of the ramp. They rolled into the ring. Styles was ready to strike when he got pulled off the top rope by someone wearing all black. Edge locked the crossface in immediately. And then he ca- he uh, moved the crossface into like a bulldog choke and won via knockout in 16 minutes. So let's start with the match. We'll talk about that. And then we'll get to the post-match. Huge improvement, I thought, from what we got at WrestleMania. The shoulder injury created intrigue. It also set Styles off as a true underdog in the match. And that's, he really wasn't an underdog going into WrestleMania. That helped the storytelling. The wrestling was better also. I was actually headed for a low A grade on this. But the interference finish has to be a deduction, especially when a guy barred from ringside makes his way to ringside and then into the ring. Now, Balor forced him into the ring. So the referee not calling a disqualification, I'll buy it but it probably should have been a disqualification when that's a stipulation of the match. And it was completely unnecessary for the way they finished the match to actually have them go into the ring. That didn't need to happen. Why not have them fight at the top of the ramp and not get to ringside? That distracts Styles. It distracts the referee. um, And it doesn't break the stipulation. But this did finish exactly like I expected. We talked about it on the Ultimate Preview and the live show on Twitter Spaces. This was a borderline A minus B plus, but I'm going to lean 3.75 stars on a B plus because we didn't get a clean finish and they broke the stipulation. That's a full half point deduction on my scale from 4.25 to 3.75. So this match started really hot and I was really into it. It felt like it had an energy and a pace that the first match never really had. But then it it really slowed down. The crowd lost interest edge kicks out of the styles clash and the crowd barely reacts to him kicking out of the freaking styles clash i don't know how many people in wwe history have done that um and right before that edge runs into essentially spears himself into the turnbuckle doesn't lose on that which is kind of surprising that and the styles clash uh didn't get, didn't lose which i thought was interesting i i i think i almost would have rather aj got speared and pinned rather than the the choke out just because when you have interference like that you want kind of an interference bang bang finish type of deal although i guess it's kind of we got in wrestlemania so maybe you didn't want to do it again but so the interference happens well uh, we'll stop there because we're, we're i assume we want to talk about yeah i want to break that down yeah but, so, but- so i'll just say it was a really fast start then it got really really slow i think and then the match and i probably give it like a three three point five i just I, for whatever reason i'm not loving these two together yeah i mean I, I think the criticisms that we gave it and others gave it at wrestlemania were justified i, I disagree i just disagree with you here I, I really enjoyed it the reason why there wasn't large pops is because it was a delayed cover it took him 30 seconds to get over there so they knew he was it it, it it wasn't that delayed of a cover it was the styles clash cover he already like has him no, I it don't think, like I don't think he cr- covered him. I don't think he covered him in the move. I think he, he 
put him down, rolled off of him, like waited. No, five because because Ed, Edge could Edge, Edge only kicked out with his shoulder, literally only a shoulder, because that's all he could do because the legs are really because it's the typical Styles clash pin. Yeah, okay, it was I actually thought, a really good. Kick I thought he covered him in a regular cover, and he had time. I wrote no, down that it was, it was delayed was, twice. Maybe I missed it. Maybe I maybe I got it. It, it was a little delayed. It wasn't that delayed though. Got it, it was got maybe it. five ten seconds. So sure, no, that that's fair. But the, also, you know, don't forget the Styles Clash is his secondary finisher. It is not necessarily the main one. But yes, you would hope for a big. You would still hope for a big pop coming out of it. I, I don't disagree with you. I do need to see that again. Maybe I got it wrong. Nevertheless, again, not an A match because of everything I said. I went to the B plus range. So after the bell, all right. Uh, the mystery person climbs into the ring, gets on one knee. Edge raises the person from one knee to a standing position. And then that person tears off the black hood and Rhea Ripley unveils herself with jet black hair, all black makeup. She turns her head, snaps it to the hard cam. I saw some people criticizing it as fake. I loved it. They Just because it, just because it's wrestling, they know where the hard cam is. Like when you're in an MMA fight, you know where the camera is. You see it right in front of you. You can snap to it. So I love that she did that and faced the camera. Then she and Edge are standing there manically laughing. They raise the arms. Uh, I thought it was a great sight. It was produced perfectly. Given Rhea's size and like the way commentary teased everything, I bet everyone thought it was a man coming in. She was wearing baggy clothes on purpose to make you think it might be a man. That made it even better. They looked incredible next to each other. The slight changes to her look really sold the aesthetic. I'm psyched for Rhea getting this opportunity. Having a woman of equal stature in a group like this, when is the last time that's happened? I, I really thought about it from when this happened through the end of the show. And I cannot remember a woman of world championship stature, meaning someone who could has been champion, women's champion, or can be women's champion, and is one of the top women in the entire company. I cannot vividly remember someone of that caliber being in a group or faction on the main roster since China in Degeneration right. X, at least in WWE. Now, I could be wrong. Please tweet me if I'm wrong and there's someone that I'm missing. But my, my, my first thought is it's not the same level, but but Alexa Bliss and The Fiend kind of being not even close. That's not even that's not a group. It's not a group. It's not a group. But I'm just trying to think of a time they added a woman and it was it was elevated. I'm just thinking off the. No, no, that's fair. I mean, he was a main eventer. She was a main eventer. So it, yeah. it gets you there. But I mean, I'm talking I mean, freaking China. Right. Uh, yeah. So it makes me far more interested in Judgment Day to have a woman, especially Ripley with them. Given you guys know I love factions. I hope that there's at least one or two more additions to come. And by the way, dude, it also gives us the potential. Think about this match. AJ Styles, Finn Balor, and Liv Morgan against Edge, Damian Priest, and Rhea Ripley. Like, that's a freaking banger. I don't even, yes. I'll book it myself. You know, it's going to be incredible. So there are so many different things that they can do with all of them. She looked great. He looked great. I loved the addition. And I loved that they had a woman interfere in a men's match to the degree where it mattered and directly factored into the finish like this. And they didn't give us... Let's make believe Champ is going to join them as well. They didn't give us Champa now and just have Rhea, you know, beat down Live on Raw and then join Edge. You know what I mean? Like they had her do something that actually mattered on a pay-per-view. I loved it. Rhea did a great job. I thought it was going to be Champa because we see the, the figure and it's like kind of like slumped over and small. Like Rhea's a big person. It was like slumped she, over she and it. small. She did it perfect. Looked pretty thin with baggy clothing. I was like, 
oh, I, I we all thought it'd be Rhea Ripley, but maybe it's not Rhea Ripley. I'm actually kind of really interested in who this is going to be. And obviously then it was Rhea Ripley. I thought she handled everything great. I liked the hard. I, I was actually surprised because she's like taking the stuff off. And I'm like, oh, no, she's not facing the hard cam. Is that a problem? And no, they did it the right way. And she turns. I loved it. I thought that was a great way to do it. And and then speaking of WWQs, and this is what I'm going to get into commentary. Byron starts saying, who is he? Who is he? And that that's a tell to me because WWE never uses those kinds of pronouns. Like they are told to use specific names, Edge, AJ Styles. They never say he or him. That's like a big thing with WWE on commentary. So I'm like, oh, he's saying he. That means it's not going to be a he. It's probably going to be a she. And it was Rhea Ripley there. But so the match and there's the interference and the match ends. And commentary starts talking about Edge winning and what this means for Edge and blah, blah, blah. And their initial reaction is not, wait, who the fuck just interfered <laughs> in this match in his, yeah. in, in, yeah. in his this black dressed person doing this? Like they weren't like, like, what the hell is going on <laughs> here? They were just like, oh, it was interference and Edge won. How about that? And I was like, I was like, you guys got to be more like frantic about this. And then. Jimmy Smith, when Rhea Ripley turns around, Jimmy Smith, who is great, we just talked about it, but he goes, Rhea Ripley, as like it was a game show announcement. It was really jarring to, to the way he said it. And then nobody said anything else. Nobody's like, why did Rhea Ripley do this? What is she doing here? Mm. Like, it was just like, that's a mess. Rhea Ripley's yeah. part. It, it was like, Rhea Ripley, she's with Edge now. Man, this is pretty scary. Like, don't do that yet. I, I, I need the, I need the urgency. I need the like, sure, what the heck just happened energy in that moment not the hype them up to be scary we'll get to that sure you know when we get to the show Rhea did great i think it should have been presented better by commentary as a like a crazy type of thing i agree that's a huge miss on them i also think that they should have followed it up at some point backstage with a really quick segment you know Rhea, Rhea, why are you know why'd you do this why are you joining judgment day uh, you'll find out monday you know, like exactly. give people a exactly. reason, give people a reason to tune into your program. I don't, I don't remember a single thing that happened um, on this show where they reminded you to watch raw tomorrow the, night. This the, isn't, the, this isn't oh, SmackDown yeah. five days away, six days away where, you know, it's tough to kind of say, Hey, don't forget six days from now to watch SmackDown for Roman Reigns. Raw is tomorrow. Yes, there there was no there was both no building for future things coming on the show, nor looking back. The only one was the announcement of Charlotte Flair's injury. Right. That was the only acknowledgement they, they did. They had a Paul Heyman Usos thing, apparently on the kickoff show that they got back to later. But instead of like, you know, I miss the days of a pay-per-view starts and a limo rolls up and Vince walks out and he's like, oh man, this is going to be a crazy night. Like, yeah, here we go. going down you, tonight. <laughs> yeah, you're like, right. are you checking on the champ, getting ready for the title match throughout the show? Like, they just, they don't do it anymore. Like, why can't, segment, Theory, segment, why, why can't segment. Theory be watching the show with McMahon back in his office? Yeah. You know, talk, just talking some shit. Ali backstage doing something. Like, uh, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to poke holes in the show. This was a very, very good premium live event. But there yeah. are some of those elements that t could take it from being really good to great. And sometimes just remembering that this is an active environment and there's yeah. people backstage who aren't participating in the show who are there. Um, people talking to each other before a match, Finn Balor pumping up AJ Styles. Now you don't want to do that because it was a surprise that Balor was there and I, I get what they were doing. But the point is you can have these interactions. Um, mm -hmm. I assume that given 
there's a Raw show, most of the Raw roster is in town or nearby, right? So those are just a couple of things that I, I wish WWE did it a little bit more in their pay-per-views. They used to do it all the time. They were the kings of it, and yeah. they completely went away from it. This show, Chris, was very much... Okay, I don't want people to like go crazy when I say this. I'm not saying it was the same quality, but it was very similarly built to like an NXT takeover. There were six yeah. matches on the card. All of the matches got a good amount of time, and there was almost nothing else extraneous. Which is also notable because NXT, the TV show, actually does quite a bit of outside the ring stuff. <laughs> yes, they do. More than, well, but, yeah, but takeovers, obviously, I'm talking black yeah, and gold. Yeah, but takeovers are different. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. But but still, but still, no, it's a, it's a point. Like, Raw, too, right? Like, they do so much stuff backstage. Didn't really do it here. Would love to see WWE infuse a couple of those elements back into pay-per-views. It doesn't need to be a lot. Just a couple here and there. Okay. Set, Those are- set the tone. Just set the tone early. Don't make this feel like another TV show. You've got the same set. You've got the same camera angles and graphics and everything. Like, do a couple of things to make this feel like it's a bigger deal. By the way, the opening pyro was pretty sick. We didn't talk about that, but it was pretty great. Oh, yeah, it was. It was good. All right. Uh, those are the four huge matches. Let's get to the two undercard matches, I guess we could say. Bobby Lashley versus Omos. I think this was second on the show. Lashley was on top early. MVP distracted him and Omos dominated for a while. Lashley hit two shoulder tackles uh, and locked Omos's arms in the top two ropes so he could beat on him. MVP tried to undo the ropes with his cane, but Lashley caught him and tried for the hurt lock outside. Omos then tried to palm Lashley's head. So Lashley hurt his hand took out his knee, and then hit a basement flatliner. Lashley got the half Nelson and then the hurt lock in, but Omos took uh, himself down to one knee. Then he stood up and completely backed Lashley all the way back into a corner. Lashley hit more shoulder tackles. He immediately failed trying a vertical suplex, but he caught Omos running with an almighty spinebuster. Kind of poorly done. Omos didn't get that far off the ground. Uh, Omos countered the spear with a knee. He threw Lashley into the ring post. MVP did a cane shot to the face while Lashley's head was hanging outside the ring. The referee's back was turned. Omos then hit his tree slam, uh, choke slam bomb, whatever you want to call it, for the win in nine minutes. This kind of exceeded my expectations, if that makes sense. It was far longer and far better than their WrestleMania match. And yes, big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> That, that is what we want to see. It's indeed what we got here. It wasn't noteworthy, big meaty men slapping meat, but we got a solid heel finish, the right booking with Omos going over, and a reason for Lashley to not only want, but probably deserve a rubber match here. It may have been Omos's best work to date, which isn't saying that much, hey. uh, but he did get he, he, he did get some stuff in. He has to learn to sell better. He does not sell for shit. I went 2.5 stars in a C, 4.5 slabs of beef. It was not bad, but it was nothing more than average. Their WrestleMania match was uh, 6 minutes, 35 seconds. This, this nine one plus. This one was 8.50. Okay. According, yeah. to, Wiki- according to Wikipedia. So it, it was a bit longer. 50%. It was, it, yeah. it was, it was, and it was perfectly watchable. You know, between two guys, especially when you have like Omos or Lashley and you don't have like a little guy who can bounce around them, stuff like that. To put together a perfectly watchable nine minute match, I think is an accomplishment for them. So so that's good. You're right that Omos needs to sell. But when I see him like running the ropes and doing things 
doing moves and scoops and slams at a speed that we've never seen a guy that size do. That's what that's the kind of thing that just gets me excited about what he could do. He's still very, very, very far off from getting there. But you, I can see why WWE has such high hopes for him, why Kevin Nash loved him when he saw him back in the day, because he does he does big guy things at the speed and with the smoothness of a regular person when it comes to doing moves. So I, I think there's something there. Obviously, we all picked Omos to win this. It made sense. You're going to give him a rubber match. You know, the, the match was fine. Honestly, I think just speaking of the crowd again, crowd did not care about this. I no. don't think the crowd cares. The crowd doesn't care about these two just at all in general. They don't it cares care about, about Lashley. Story. It doesn't give a shit about Omos. It kind of cares about Lashley. It but cares it does, about Lashley. It, it doesn't care about this story or this feud because the feud is about Bobby Lashley and MVP. It doesn't even have to, anything to do with Omos. It, it, it was supposed to be MVP's upset that Lashley didn't think he needed him. Mm-hmm. So it's just there's not a lot of meat on that bone for a three-match feud, but we're going to get it. So, yeah. It was fine. Like you said, low expectations met the met or maybe slightly exceeded those expectations. So perfectly fine. Not a lot of meat on that bone. Well, all there is is meat on those bones, man. Literally, there's literally <laughs> there's literally a lot of beef flying around out there. There is a lot of beef. There's a lot of beef flying around out there in the ring. There's a lot of beef out here. There was indeed. Uh, lastly on this, so look, apropos of nothing else, this is just something I thought during the kickoff show, during the match also. Why the hell isn't Apollo Crews part of this? Because Crews is being booked as Nigerian royalty. That's his gimmick. They're now calling Omas the Nigerian giant. Now, just because two people are from Nigeria doesn't mean they have to be together, but it makes a million times more sense for Omas to be with Crews and have MVP as the spokesman for both of them, then Commander Aziz, who does nothing and doesn't help Apollo at all. If you were able to put Cruz with Omas, then Omas would not have to be front and center so much from a wrestling standpoint. He could hide some of his rough patches competing in the tag team division instead of singles. Cruz is okay on the mic. MVP would be a huge upgrade for him. It would help reestablish him after he's kind of been completely knocked down multiple pegs since the return to live crowds, I would 100% make that move as soon as possible. Look, why don't they use X, you know, could be said about a million but They're literally on saying he's a Nigerian giant and I, this guy's a Nigerian royalty. Yeah, like, well, Cruz, yeah, Cruz and Omas would make a lot of sense. You know, it would also make a lot of sense still having the goddamn Hurt business together, but true. that's just not a thing anymore. And they just, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see a lot of, I'd like to see a lot of other people involved, but instead... You just got to do Omos and Lashley because that's what Vince wants. For sure. All right. And lastly here, this was the popcorn match between the two main events. Happy Corbin against Matt Cat Moss. On SmackDown, Corbin was in the ring for Happy Talk, excited to beat up Moss, who popped on the Titantron and told some jokes about Corbin's tattoos. Corbin said he didn't have the guts to say it to his face. So Moss entered and hit a good line about Corbin's failed gimmicks in the past. He even got the crowd chanting an insult. So Corbin left. Look, I guess they had to do something for a go-home segment, but holy shit, was this rough on SmackDown. I I mentioned this on our our pre-show, but uh, it was mostly just mean. (laughs) Like, it it wasn't really... He was literally insulting him. He's like, you suck, you're bald, and your tattoos are ugly. 
yeah i was like okay that doesn't make me want to cheer moss like okay i just yeah i generally just kind of felt bad after that segment weird not not the best go home uh and then okay so let's go to backlash uh corbin really dominated for a while here commentary made a huge deal out of him doing a sent on it's like noting that he expanded his repertoire (laughs) i mean okay i guess sure uh, Moss came back with some offense, but Corbin countered the punchline into a lifted Uranagi for a near fall. Corbin caught Moss with a deep six for a 2.9 false finish. Moss eventually caught Corbin running with a sunset flip pinning combination for the win in nine minutes. This was so boring when it started. It did pick up significantly down the stretch. Pat McAfee shitting on Corbin in the finish was hysterical. I'd have gone with Corbin winning, especially since it seems like they're going to continue this feud uh, by not having Moss win very decisively. In fact, they could have done the same finish the opposite way. Just had Corbin win via sunset flip pinning combination. It was strong overall. I'll say 2.75 stars and a C plus. Nothing bad about it. Not a pay-per-view quality match. Literally or, the or same thing for that matter. Sorry. Yeah, we yeah. both picked. I think we both picked Rollins and Corbin to win. We did. And instead, while also noting that uh, some faces got to get some wins on this card somewhere. So they essentially did the heel finishes just with the faces to to do that with Cody and Madcap Moss. I got to say that sunset flip pin might have been the cleanest one I've ever seen. That was so incredibly smooth and, and, and Moss got his feet in there, his legs in there to, to keep Corbin's shoulders on. I thought like that jumped out to me. I was like, holy crap, that is an incredible sunset flip pinning combination. Uh, that is a roll through 99% of the time in WWE. So that was that jumped out to me. I, I Moss did a couple things that flashed in, in terms of, of wrestling. And, and, you know, you see those bits, those flashes where you can see there's a lot there. But just this isn't the gimmick that's going to do it. It's the same thing with Corbin. There were moments of good wrestling because I think both these guys are good. They're just always saddled with gimmicks that don't make any sense um, in, in crowd Nobody cared. Same same thing with the the, the Omas Lashley match where the crowd literally just did not care. So was what it was. And one thing else I'll note, this was the penultimate match, the match before the main event. Yeah. Wait, wait, Wade Keller pointed out on Twitter that there were 18, but the, the time from the end of the Corbin uh, Madcap match to the bell for the main event match was 18 minutes. That's yeah, that's not surprising. They ran... Uh, it's what WWE does now. Well, no, well I, they ran. Well, it's not just that, but I mean, it makes sense when you're building to the main event of a show. They ran uh, two pay-per-view ads. They did the entrances for the Bloodline, RK Bro, and Drew McIntyre. So three entrances. And you know, the Bloodline entrance on its own is like five minutes. Yeah. And, th- and again, the, the video package was long and they ran those ads. So that's not surprising, nor, nor do I think that's a negative. It's a negative for television. When you bring out the first person for a match and then 20 minutes later, sometimes 30 minutes later, you actually ring the bell. That's a problem. But for just time between matches on a pay-per-view, as long as you're giving me things that are important or that are applicable, I guess is probably the best way to put it. I personally don't care about that. Also, the whole point of a popcorn match is to get popcorn, go to the bathroom, get into your seat again, and giving me time to get up and do all of those things uh, and by the way, I did actually make like I, I had fries left over for Mother's Day brunch. I made fries in my air fryer during this match and, and seasoned them and did everything and sat down while they were doing the entrances. It was the perfect amount of time for me as a viewer. I'm just being candid. Uh, and then the main event was 25 minutes. So 
yeah, I mean, that's exactly what that period of time before the main event should be. I'm not saying Wade Keller did anything wrong by pointing that out. I'm, no, just, saying yeah, I, no, yeah. I'm just saying I didn't care at all. It, it, it was notable to me on a pay-per-view, you know, where you don't typically have commercials and they did do commercials here and including one important commercial uh, for Money in the Bank. We should probably talk about it at some point on the show as well, but I just want to point that out. Yeah, you know what, Chris? Let's go and finish up the incident analysis here for WrestleMania Backlash, and then we will get to that before the end of the show. So really good point. Uh, so the way we do wrap up the instant analysis show uh, when we when we review a pay-per-view is by giving you our final grades for the pay-per-view or premium live event. Before we get to the final grades, a reminder about what the pre-show grades were. The Silver King came in with a B-, Chris had a C+, and the Getting Overheads in our Twitter poll at Getting Overcast. They came in with a C plus average, 40% B, 57% C. Now, Chris, we are going to give our post-show grades. I will start with what our listeners thought, and then we can go to you. We always let you grade first. And then, of course, I will wrap things up. The poll is technically still underway, 30 minutes left while we're still doing this. And the numbers, interestingly, they started really high for A, and they're actually coming down little bit by little bit. But nevertheless, as of this moment, 58% gave the show an A, 37% a B, 3% a C, and 1.6% a D to F. Obviously, the D and Fs, we're going to throw those in the garbage because there's no way you could watch that show and think it was a D or F. But the vast majority, Chris, here are A, a solid portion B. So I'm going to say that this average grade here from our listeners is an A- minus for WrestleMania Backlash. Chris, what is your grade for WWE's first pay-per-view since WrestleMania 38? Uh, first, I got to say, wow. I, I, I got to admit, that is a lot higher than I just would have expected. But maybe because of that final match and, and the way everybody's... The, the, the two final two matches, the, the co-main event. Well, I mean, not the final two, but... Uh, the, I'm saying the co-main yeah. event, not the popcorn match, yes. So... so yeah, I I can see coming out of that main event that you're feeling pretty good, but I, I absolutely cannot give any sort of A grade to a show where 1.5 interesting things happened uh, story-wise. Look, I, I'm i always someone who, you know, we talk about this a lot. You do a lot of the, 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 the wrestling grades of the matches. I like, I, obviously I like great wrestling, but to me it, it only supplements the main thing, which is the story. And there was not much story in this show. We had the, the women's title change, which is absolutely big story stuff. We had Rhea Ripley. But other than that, everything else it appears is going to continue moving forward. We didn't even get we didn't even get Cody upset that he lost to Seth or something like that, because we had faces win some of those other matches. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go straight B. Which is a lot higher than my expectations. I said C plus coming in. So it, it did exceed my expectations. All the wrestling in this was fine to good. Even the Madcap Corp match, I thought was fine. Omos Lashley was fine. None of it was bad. But just so much of this ultimately just didn't mean anything. And, and, and to, to, that's just my personal view of things. This is not a show or a card I'm ever going to think about again. Outside of those two things, Rhea Ripley and, and Ronda Rousey winning. So um, I'm I'm going straight B, but that's just kind of generally 
my philosophy and how I kind of watch wrestling. Sure. Well, I mean, look, you're with 37 percent of the listeners, and of course, we don't give really the ability to do pluses or minuses. It's a Twitter poll. There's only so many spaces. In fact, there's only five, so we can't actually we can't even put DNF on separate lines. Um, we have to throw those together. So, you know, legitimate grade. So A minus from the listeners, B from you. Here's my breakdown. So the first three matches on this show, in order from the start of the show going the opposite direction uh, to the end, the first three matches on the show were all rematches. And they all had cheating enabled finishes, setting up more rematches, right? They were correct bouts in the correct order to start the show, meaning I would have booked them in the same order. But if you know all the finishes are going to be the same if you're WWE, you have to space them out a little bit. You can't just do three straight matches where there's a cheating finish that results in a victory. Better really would have been to come up with a totally different idea for at least one of the matches. So yes, that's a criticism and it's a frustration. Three feuds were given finishes that should lead to rematches on what was already a rematch pay-per-view. Yeah. But I actually think all four WrestleMania rematches on Backlash were better than their WrestleMania equivalents from one month ago. That is very tough to do for one match, let alone four on a single show. And then on top of that, you had Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair. That was a straight up banger. And the main event, which was an absolute blast that anyone who likes wrestling, you could throw that match on and they are going to be sports entertained beyond that. Honestly, this is what I said on the ultimate preview. The build for backlash was so weak and boring in parts that it did not have me excited kind of coming into it. But it also left a huge gap where it could then exceed expectations. And that's exactly what happened tonight. It blew away what I expected from this show. Now, my question is, do I align with you and go up two grades from my expectation, which is what you did. You went from a C plus to a flat B. Or do I go three grades uh, to an A minus? And that is where I'm struggling to make a decision. Because on one hand, you have one third of this card, the Lashley Moss match and Corbin Madcap Moss match that I just did not give a shit about. I gave both of those C's, one, one a C plus, one a flat C. But the rest of the matches I loved. There were three A matches. There was a 4.75, a 4.5, and a 4.25 on the show, plus a 3.75 that was only downgraded, as my opinion as a viewer, I loved watching it because of the finish. So if I'm averaging those out, those are way, way heavier weighted towards an A than they are in a B range. So I'm actually going to very barely, 90 out of 100, I will give this an A minus three grades higher than I predicted in the pre-show poll. I very much enjoyed this show. I also want to note though, Chris, I completely agree with what you're saying. There were basically no stakes on this show and we got a bunch of rematches that led to a bunch more rematches. But when I sit down to watch a premium live event or a pay-per-view, it is if I sit in this chair and I give you three hours or more of my attention, 
How entertained am I going to be at? What level are you going to entertain me? And the level of entertainment I got from this show was an A minus level of entertainment. It was not as good as WrestleMania night one. It was not as good as crown jewel last year or many of the other shows that we gave A's and A minuses to from WWE, because guess what, Chris, this is another situation where WWE completely over delivered on a premium live event after a pretty terrible build bring into the entire thing. We accounted for this throughout the entire pandemic. Um, and they usually delivered, but Royal Rumble in January was so freaking bad that we stopped giving them the benefit of the doubt when it came to these special pay-per-view premium live events. Everything since Royal Rumble has been very strong. They picked up the momentum again at Backlash coming out of WrestleMania that they lost when Roman Reigns was basically off TV for three to four weeks. And again, I come out of this show saying, you know what? Did anything really happen on the show? No, not really. Was I super freaking entertained by three hours of wrestling on a Sunday night? Yes, I was. So I give it a 90 out of 100. I give it an A minus. I, I think that's it right there. Was I entertained? Yes, very much so. That basically sets the floor for B minus B type of range. But then are you giving me anything more than that? And I, we kind of got like 1.5 of those. And, and that that's where it just that's where it just puts me to be. So, sure. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was. Look, it, it exceeded both of our expectations and, and very much credit for the wrestlers. To the a similar who, level. We just started at different yeah, places. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Absolutely. credit to the wrestlers in the ring who all pretty much delivered in some way or another, you know, exceeded the expectations we had. So, yeah, it just comes back to the storytelling, which is inconsistent. Look, two weeks ago, this was supposed to be a tag team unification match. And they just decided, nah, we're going to throw Roman Reigns on this yeah. show. So no. we, WWE's really got to get consistent with the storytelling and make things make sense and start telling these stories that are more than just rematches so sure we'll find out how that goes starting monday for sure because we have four more weeks now into wwe hell in a cell and we have two months uh, until wwe money in the bank i'm going to get to that in one second real quick steven at shibby 372 wrote in wwe went six matches gave them all time to breathe that's the way to do it i hope they stay with this formula i do too this is how you do a pay-per-view the you know match card generation the the order in which things were done um, the ma- the amount of match time. We talked about it at WrestleMania, Chris. All those matches felt like they were rushed on that show, especially on night two. Just felt like most things at WrestleMania did not get enough time. Uh, everything got time tonight. Even the nine-minute match, that was more than enough time for that match. Like, it didn't need to be any longer than that. Corbin also. Corbin and Moss, it was more than enough time for that particular match. Everything else, nothing felt rushed. Nothing felt delayed or uh, extended. And the main event, it went 24 minutes. It did not feel like a 24 minute match. It was very, very good. Uh, so let's look, 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 real, real quick. Look, sure. I, I mean, not counting mania elimination chamber had six main, six main card matches, WrestleMania, or I'm sorry, Royal rumble, six matches day one, six main card matches. That, that, that That's a good spot where they've been hitting where very good. Yep. You don't, you, you don't hit them with a ton except for the stadium shows. You give these matches some time and let them breathe. It works. It's just, I think, on, on typically on these cards, you're getting more consequential matches. Than yeah, and I think Mania, match. if memory serves, had seven one night and eight the other, and they were just short. They were and because there were so many other extraneous things that they added to those shows that they didn't want them to go on forever. 
Uh, but they yeah. did. They were still super long, but they had seven or eight things and it just whatever. Um, but it is very different when you have a card like this or you and you have like an 11 match card. Now, look, AEW only does four pay-per-views a year, five this year with Forbidden Door. Uh, but man, those 11, 12 match cards that go on five hours, they, they're killers. They just mm-hmm. are. They really exhaust you. This all just felt like a really nice tight package. It all really worked well uh, together. So look, I mentioned Money in the Bank. You mentioned Money in the Bank. There was a little bit of controversy that's come out um, on social media primarily and probably maybe even a little bit of confusion from fans given the video package that we got for WWE Money in the Bank, which I think is happening July 4th weekend at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Uh, Cody Rhodes did a promo, a video package promo for it from the field at Allegiant Stadium. There were fireworks going off and a bunch of language. But the key line that I think, Chris, you want to talk about is when Cody said this, and I'll let you talk first, and then I'll tell you why I think people are blowing this out of proportion. But the line he used is, quote, one lucky male and female superstar will win the chance to main event WrestleMania by winning money in the bank. Uh, so, you know, go ahead. Tell me what you think when you hear that or what other people are saying. And then I'll, can, I'll kind of come on the back end and tell you what I think here. It was jarring because we've never heard money in the bank described that way we've with never wrestlemania heard dire- uh, yes attached to it yeah we've never heard it directly linked to wrestlemania especially since it's what eight nine ten months away nine months it's after, nine months after away. yeah yeah after money in the bank um so that jumped out the other part that jumped out was that it was cody doing this and we know he's making a push for the wwe championship so it kind of felt like a setup for Cody to win money in the bank with his plan to use it at WrestleMania. I, I mean, that's how everybody, that's how everybody took it that I was seeing on Twitter. Um, everybody's wondering if this is replacing Royal Rumble, which I don't know if I'd go that far, but when you say it that directly in your very first money in the bank commercial, it's very deliberate. And I don't think it was a, it, it seemed to me pretty clear what they were saying We'll we'll have to get more clarification as we get closer to Money in the Bank, but uh, yeah, very that was uh, that got a lot of people going at that time because I was like, whoa, what does this mean? So I now I think and look, look, we're going off a ninety second promo and a single line. I don't have any additional information. No one has any additional information. I haven't seen anyone tweet any information about this or answer any questions about it. I think everyone is blowing this completely out of proportion. Everyone, okay. Let me read this line to you one more time. One lucky male and female superstar will win the chance to main event WrestleMania. When you win the Royal Rumble, you main event WrestleMania. It is direct. This is to win the chance. So what's the chance? The chance is that you either hold the briefcase until WrestleMania and cash it in at WrestleMania, or you pull a John Cena and you say, I am going to cash it in at X date, right? So, or Rob Van Dam, I think did that also. So that is one option on how you can main event WrestleMania. The other is by cashing in and winning a world championship and therefore putting yourself in position to main event WrestleMania as the champion. In a 90 second commercial spot, my guess is they wanted to just figure out a really quick way to explain that the consequences or the the opportunity, I should say, of winning the briefcase is a great opportunity. 
And what WWE is doing is they are utilizing their WrestleMania brand, as noted, Chris, at WrestleMania Backlash. And yes. as you previously noted, you attended a WrestleMania tryout uh, in the Dallas area, you know, for WWE looking for per- prospective superstars. I just feel this is another situation where WWE is utilizing the brand of WrestleMania TM to promote a pay-per-view in a stadium that they want people to attend. I do not think they're changing the rules of money in the bank. I do not think it's a situation where it's replacing the Royal Rumble. They're not giving up the Royal Rumble brand name. That's another stadium show that they're selling out. And the winners of the Royal Rumble need something to do. And they sure as shit aren't going to not main event WrestleMania. So I think this was a turn of phrase that they used thinking we're going to get people talking. It's an easy way to describe the huge opportunity in front of the people who win these briefcases. And I think everyone is reading way too much into it. Again, I could be completely wrong. WWE could do something along the lines of New Japan where you win the briefcase and you defend that briefcase at different points throughout the year on the road to the biggest show of the year. But as you pointed out, WrestleMania is nine months after Money in the Bank. There is no way they are going to basically give away the main event of WrestleMania for a nine-month build, even if it is Cody going after Roman, or if The Rock somehow shows up at Money in the Bank, wins the briefcase, and says, Roman, I'm going to cash it in on you at WrestleMania. These are things I just I don't see them doing, right? Like You really have to think about how are they going to get there if that is the plan. So I think everyone's blowing it out of proportion. I just believe it's a turn of phrase that they utilize to say there's a huge opportunity that this person faces. They can get to WrestleMania in the main event by choosing to cash it in at such an opportunity, a la Seth Rollins, or winning the title ahead of time and going into the main event as champion. It's a 90-second commercial. They needed something to say in five seconds. That's that's what I think it was. I, I think that's a very good explanation that kind of has me thinking the same, in that they are using the WrestleMania brand everywhere they possibly can. And that doesn't mean a thing is going to be specific to WrestleMania. It just means, hey, here's a wrestling thing. Hey, and did you know that it ties into WrestleMania? You know that exactly that, that great that great show from a month ago you heard that everybody liked it's gonna be it's it might be involved in WrestleMania that they're hitting you over the head with. So that would make a lot of sense. It would fit with how WWE is handling things, um pitching things. But I also think it could mean we do get Cody Rhodes winning uh, Money in the Bank and holding it into WrestleMania. I think that's a possibility uh, as well, separately with him being in that commercial and whatnot. So um, we will see. But yes, that suddenly added a lot of intrigue to Money in the Bank. And I'm curious if the next time we see a description of Money in the Bank, they will continue that language or if they will try to clarify it. We'll see. Yeah, again, I just think it's a, it's simplifying. That's really all I think it is. But hey, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe something is going to uh, transpire where they change the rules of Money in the Bank. And look, uh, our frustration on this podcast with Money in the Bank historically, right, has been that they cash it in too quickly, right? The whole point is that it's supposed to be a surprise and you don't know when it's going to happen and it creates intrigue uh, or they or they telegraph it like they did with Big E. They haven't been using Money in the Bank right for a very long time. So if WWE happens to change it and they come up with something that makes more sense for the way they book, maybe it's not all bad. But as of now, I'm staking the claim. It's technically May 9th uh, at, you know, just after midnight on the East Coast. The Silver King says everyone is misunderstanding. The rules will be the same. 
Uh, but that is it, Chris, uh, for this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, the instant analysis of WWE WrestleMania Backlash. I really appreciate everyone uh, being with us so soon after the end of this premium live event. This is what we do here on Getting Over. We give you instant analysis, not just for pay-per-views and premium live events, but for major breaking news as well. Luckily, we have not had much of that in a long time. That is a good thing usually. Uh, so you know, we haven't had to do many uh, podcasts like that, uh, but we love doing these pay-per-view instant analysis for you on Saturdays and Sunday nights as soon as these shows go off the air. Please, folks, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You can participate in the polls, our live shows on Twitter Spaces, and find out every single time we drop a brand new episode. Also, do not forget that this and every episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Let people know how much you love the show. Those ratings and reviews help us immensely. Please, please take 10 to 30 seconds out of your life and do that for us. We will read all the five-star reviews left for us right here live on the show. This was episode 298 of Getting Over, which means not Tuesday, but Wednesday this forthcoming week is episode 300. On Tuesday, we will have our WWE episode. A lot of other stuff happened on SmackDown. We got a Raw after WrestleMania backlash to talk about on Tuesday. Episode 300 will be a special episode. Still figuring out the details there. And then on Thursday, we will be back with an AEW and NXT episode. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Vintage Chris Benini for joining me once again. This is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, leaving you with three final words. Bye for now. 